and welcome to Rinse and Repeat. I'm Carol Escaros. Just today, I received a voice recording left for me on the Anchor site for the podcast. You just have to listen to this. Take a listen. Good morning, Carol. I just wanted to thank you so much for your No More Self-Hate. It just really impacted my life. I was in such a bad place. I'm in ministry myself. I'm on the worship team. And I speak a little and open up in church and stuff. But I just really fell into a bad place. I'm a perfectionist. And I always require so much out of myself. And I was listening to myself more than talking to myself for sure. And I just read your Bible plan. And it just really blessed my heart. And I really want to thank you, and you really bless me. So God bless you, and thank you for the work you're doing in the kingdom. My goodness, you have no idea how much I needed that voice memo today, especially today when I was getting beaten up in the worst possible way you could possibly imagine from 5 o'clock this morning. And for everyone listening and for those reading the Bible plan and telling me how much that the podcast and the Bible reading plans have meant to you, you have no idea how much that means to me. Feedback like this is incredibly important. You see, my producer and I, we both agree, the number one tool of the enemy to most Christian workers, and I know I'm speaking for most of us, but I think we would agree, is discouragement. We feel like there's so many spiritual attacks, so many relational, financial, emotional, physical attacks, and you start to wonder, is it worth it? Is anyone even listening? Does it even matter? And emails and texts that I might get like this remind me that God's word does not return void. It is having an impact, especially on this area of self-hate, because me, like this listener, I am a perfectionist, and I listen to my own voice, and I believe it because it sounds so familiar. It is my voice, after all, and I start to believe lies about myself, especially when they're backed up by the schemes of the enemy that can come in the forms of the attacks, like I was just getting just today. So to that listener, thank you. To listeners like her, thank you. And to each of you who has listened to Rinse and Repeat, who has shared it, you have no idea how much you all sharing the podcast via social media, via friends at work, you have no idea how much it matters and the difference that it's making and the impact that it's having. So for those of you who share it, who discuss it, who ask me questions about it, I cannot thank you enough. This week, we are celebrating our 8,000th listen. By the time this podcast airs, it may be more than that. And we are, again, incredibly humbled and grateful And above all, grateful to God for all that he has seen fit to do so far through Rinse and Repeat. Our goal, above all, is to lift up the very name of Jesus and his word, which he even lifts up above his own name. And that's what we're going to be about from now until the Lord returns, the word of God 
and that's all. And that's it. So now, so far in our series here on fear, so far we've had two messages prior to this one. In week one, we just laid a very basic foundation. I know in that message, I didn't teach you guys a whole lot, but we asked a lot of questions. We talked about what our common fears are and what those fears can cause us to do, right? We looked at two examples in scripture. We looked at King Saul and how his fears, in particular fear of men, fear of maybe the approval or disapproval of the people drawing him away from obeying God, okay? So his fears drew him away from God. And how King David's example was entirely different and how his fears drew him to God. And the difference really is having the right perspective on God, which was the segue into last week's podcast, which was really having the right perspective on God himself, how our Heavenly Father is near us when we're anxious And by way of introduction, in that message, we looked at the categories that our fears can fall into and how really God's nature addresses every single human need, including our fears. And really, I challenged us to consider how God can be trusted, but our fears cannot. If we were to take down a list and write down how many times God met us, and spoke to us and was faithful to us in our darkest hours and how he is true, our fears do not have the same track record. Our fears don't come true. Our fears don't tell us the truth. And so we must remember, as always, God can be trusted. So that by way of review as to where we've been, by the way, if you've missed any of that, feel free to catch up on Anchor or any of the other places you might catch podcasts. Uh, You can start at the beginning of the Fear series or any of the other series we've aired so far. But today, I want to take on another aspect, which is critical. Of course, that is Jesus. I want to look at Jesus and how Jesus himself facing fear changes how we ourselves can face anxiety. Now, a question at the outset. In his earthly ministry, what would you say, oh beloved listener, was the most difficult night of Jesus's earthly life? All right, you probably are thinking along the right lines. It was that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, when, as you will remember, he's preparing to face the cross, okay? So we're going to read this passage together in Mark chapter 14. Turn there with me, Mark 14. We're going to read verses 32 through 42 together, but we're going to go slow and pull it apart. And in this passage, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, we are going to learn a lot about how Jesus faced fear and what it teaches us about him with us in our fears and our anxieties. So Mark 14, starting in verse 32, then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. 
Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. All right, let's pause there because I want to closely examine the three phrases that are used in these verses to describe Jesus's emotional state here. Okay, we're going to look at three phrases. The first is in verse 33, the word for troubled. He began to be troubled. The word there in the Greek is ichthambeo, which means to be alarmed struck with terror or horror, and it's used in Mark 16 and verse 5 and 6 when the disciples saw the angel at the empty tomb and they were alarmed, and the angel tells them not to be alarmed, okay? So they were struck with terror and horror, that kind of troubled. So that is the word there in verse 33 for troubled. Now, The next phrase I want to look at is the word also in verse 33 for deeply distressed. Deeply distressed, if I'm not butchering the Greek, is edemoneo, and that means to be troubled, greatly distressed, even anguished or depressed, okay? That's the word for deeply distressed there in verse 33. And in case we're wondering how Jesus is feeling in this scene, look at the phrase in verse 34 for exceedingly sorrowful. Exceedingly sorrowful in verse 34 is paralipsos, paralipsos, which means intensely sorrowful, sad enough to die even. Intensely sorrowful, sad enough to die even. In other words, at few other times in his earthly ministry do we see Jesus as intensely distressed as he is here. Please, beloved listener, do not miss this. Jesus himself experienced this level of intense anxiety and distress. He dealt with basically every single human emotion. He himself dealt with the pain of this type of distress. Pause for a second, and if you have your Bibles and your note takers, flip to Hebrews 4.15. If you can't turn there, please listen closely. Take note. Hebrews 4.15, it's one of those that I feel like we need to commit to memory, y'all, okay? This is one of those memory verses. Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. He was tempted. He dealt with everything. He could sympathize with all of our weaknesses. He felt fear and distress and pain and horror, and yet he did not sin. See, let's just face it. Jesus is dealing with anxiety here, okay? He's dealing with fear. But there's fear, and then there's fear. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) You guys are laughing at me right now. You're like, we have no idea what you're saying. What in the world do you mean there's fear and then there's fear? What I'm trying to say is there is that sense of 
dread and terror that can happen when you're facing a cross, when you're facing sudden death or the terror of something horrible that's about to happen to you as Jesus is here. But then there are those patterns of dread and fear that we have been talking about since the beginning of this study. Remember, our working definition of anxiety is a pattern of distressful thinking aroused by the anticipation of pain, harm, or loss. The pattern of distressful thinking. So that's my next question that I want us to consider. How can fear morph from things that are typical or to be expected into something that becomes a pattern, into something that's more of a problem area that can ultimately lead to sin. See, it's one thing when we're facing an attack against our faith, as I've mentioned last time, and it's another thing when that attack then becomes something that we repeat over and over and over again to ourselves, to other people. And then it becomes this habit we develop. And then we start questioning God. And from questioning God, and maybe he's not listening, and maybe he didn't hear me, and maybe God isn't real. And then it turns into us taking matters into our own hands. And I've got to figure this thing out. You see, it goes from a normal, isolated situation to patterns that we begin to repeat and to develop into these problem areas over and over and over again. It becomes a problem when it becomes a stronghold. And as we've said so many times on the podcast, a stronghold, put simply and rather in a pedestrian fashion, a stronghold is something that has a strong hold over you. Or more specifically, it's something that's built a fortress A stronghold is a fortress. It's something that's built a fortress around your heart and around your thinking that makes it so hard for God's word and the truth to get through. Again, by way of review, the goal of this study isn't to just eliminate good fear because good fears actually help protect us, right? The fear of those things that go bump in the night help protect us against predators that might enter our homes or fears that are normal, like being nervous before an interview. I'm not really addressing those things at all. My goal is to challenge the stronghold of fear, the debilitating effects of that brain spinning that allows for no peace and no rest, that being paralyzed by fear, that running when you're supposed to stay and being paralyzed and staying when you're supposed to go. That's what I'm challenging. Not only did Jesus experience this distressing emotion of anxiety without sinning, without it becoming a stronghold, without it becoming this pattern of thinking. There's another key lesson here from his example in Mark 14. Notice, in all of this, Jesus did not isolate himself. He surrounded himself with people that he allowed into his struggle. See, one author calls this the unleashing of your worry army. All right, write that down if you're taking notes. Your worry army. The faithful men and women who will walk through your anxiety with you. It is critical 
that you do not isolate in times of deep distress. It is critical. And it doesn't have to be an army, meaning it's a thousand people. Even if it's one godly person that you can call upon to hold you up when you are anxious and you are facing the lies and the schemes of the enemy, allow there to be someone, as Jesus did right here in the Garden of Gethsemane, he brought his disciples, he brought the three from those 12 with him into the garden to watch and pray with him. We're going to get to the fact that they really weren't doing that in a second. But know who those people are that you can call upon to lift you up when you feel like your faith is wavering, when you're starting to spin and to overthink and to doubt and to question. Just this week, I got a call from a dear godly woman here in Louisiana who needed me to be part of her worry army. She didn't have to have 800 people unleashed. She said, I'm really dealing with something that has me so anxious. I can't sleep. I can't eat. I can't think. I trust God, but I am so anxious. And I didn't have answers for her. I most of the time don't have answers for anybody, but all I do is pray. And I write it in my journal and I write it in the margins of my Bible and I pray and I pray, and I pray, and I become part of people's worry army. See, in the depths of anxiety, isn't it tempting to just isolate? Say to yourself, look, nobody understands. Nobody has any idea what I'm going through. I am not going to share this with anyone. I don't want to explain it to anybody. And scripture is clear. The man who isolates himself seeks his own way. Either you don't really want to hear other people's advice, you think you know better than everybody else, or maybe it's just that the advice you know you're going to get is going to be advice you don't really want to accept. Or it could very well be that this thing is so painful for you that even the act of explaining it is hard. Even the act of talking about it is hard. That's okay too. Your worry army doesn't even need details. Do you understand? Godly men and women don't need to know all of your nitty gritties. All you can say is, I need you to simply pray with me. I'm in crisis and I need you to pray. I'm in trouble. Would you walk alongside this with me? And be honest. If we are prone to pushing people away, over time, we are going to start finding ourselves so alone, so isolated. Jesus doesn't do that here. He doesn't isolate. Instead, he calls on his brothers to join him. He calls on those three. And I love it because they weren't just there with him in that victorious transfiguration scene. It was those same three on the Mount of Transfiguration, but he's also calling on those same three in the depths of his pain. Believer, have friends that aren't just fair weather friends. Do you have friends that you allow into your darkest hours? Even when your friends blow it, okay? His friends blew it here. They did. Even when they make mistakes, invite people into your life. 
invite people into your world if you're battling anxiety. And in a couple of weeks on the podcast, I'm actually going to cover the role of the church and the body of believers in helping us deal with anxiety. But let's read on here. Two more verses right here in Mark 14, starting in verse 35. He went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all these things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Pause again. What's happening here? Why is Jesus in this level of pain and desperate prayer? Why is he in this state of distress? Theologians agree that Jesus isn't just fearing the physical pain of the cross, okay, or the torture leading up to the cross. It's more that he's dreading the separation from God when all of the sins of the world would be laid upon him. That is Jesus's worst case scenario, separation from the Father. In his whole life, Jesus has never once been separated from the Father. Even though he was on earth, he has never been separated from the Father except for the moment that he became physical sin for us. It was at the moment that he becomes sin for us that there's separation with God the Father. And on this point of theology, listen to this verse in Habakkuk 1.13. This is Habakkuk 1.13. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Listen to that. Let me say that again. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. In other words, God can't even look upon sin. That's a fact. So as 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, when Jesus became sin for us, Jesus knew God couldn't look at him. So he's saying, I know that that separation is going to destroy me. He knew he would say the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he knows God can't look upon him when the sin of the whole world is laid upon him. And that's what I wanted to remind you of what I said in the very beginning of this fear study. As I've said, it's not that we have no reason to fear. Jesus had an ample reason to fear here. But the key to so much of our lessons on anxiety are going to boil down here to verse 36 in Mark 14. The end of verse 36 says probably what I'm going to sum this whole message into being, not what I will, but what you will. Guys, this is the difference between us being able to move beyond our anxiety It's these words. Are we willing to trust God even when the worst things happen? Even if he doesn't deliver us from the fiery furnace, as Daniel's friends said, even if we aren't delivered, even if the worst thing happens, even if the healing doesn't come, even if the financial situation is difficult for a longer period of time than we would have hoped, Will we say, not what I will, but what you will? Will we trust God 
even when the worst things, at least the worst things as far as we can tell, happen. I feel like that's the heart of our faith right there. Do we believe, do we follow only when things are working out for us? Or can we believe and follow God when the hardships pile on, when the people betray us, when things get ugly? That's the real question here. And let's finish off reading this section, the end of Mark 14, verses 37 through 42. Let's read this. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to answer him. Then he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Arise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. See, what I love about this section of the passage is that dealing with anxiety here is a process. See, Jesus prays. He comes to the disciples. He exhorts them. And he goes back and prays, and so on, and so on, and so on. See, Jesus continues his habit of prayer on this night. And incidentally, it was his habit to be a man of prayer throughout his earthly ministry. It is not a problem or a weakness for you to have to repeat the process that you've gone through a hundred times before for you to do it a hundred more times in dealing with your anxiety. I have people say to me, I've read the Bible. It doesn't help. I've had people say to me, I've prayed. It doesn't help. I've gone to church. It doesn't help. And hence the title of the podcast is Rinse and Repeat. You don't just do it one and done. You go back again and again and again. You read the word of God daily, the daily washing of the water by the word. You go into prayer again and again, and you don't just pray about a situation once. You persist in prayer. You keep asking and seeking and knocking, and you don't stop. It is not failure to deal with anxiety daily. It is what we do over and over and over again. God gives us breakthroughs. Be persistent. It's like dealing with those attacks on your faith that we talked about last time, like dealing with the bug spatter on our windshield during our road trip. We had to consistently wipe our windshield, washer fluid, wipers going. We did it over and over and over again. Imagine if we said, well, I did it once and now it's a mess again, so I'm not doing it again. No, those attacks are going to come and you're going to keep cleaning that windshield. Dealing with anxiety as a believer is a process. Turn to the word of God daily. Read, 
memorize, meditate on the scriptures daily, grab your worry army and unleash them daily, seek the Lord in prayer over and over and over again. And we're going to dedicate time on the podcast to prayer as a key element of warfare against anxiety. We're going to talk about that in several weeks. But the point being, I know how wearying anxiety can be. I know we can say, I've had it, I've done it, it's not working, I give up, this Christian stuff doesn't work, keep going. And please look at the disciples for a moment, would you? Look at them for a moment. How are they dealing with their own grief and confusion that night? Look at what's happening with them. What are they doing? They're asleep. They're asleep. But before we get too hard on them, Jesus has just finished telling them that he is going to be betrayed, that he's leaving them. So all that they just heard wasn't easy leading up to this garden scene. And they're exhausted. It's the night watches. He's up all night here pretty much dealing with this. How much do we do the same when we're sad and confused and exhausted? We would be asleep too. So before we wag our fingers and stand in judgment of them, remember, I know I'd be asleep. First of all, I wouldn't have been in the inner sanctum of those three. Let's face it, right? But I would be dead to rights asleep. I would be exhausted and sad. And it is so often that when we are depressed, don't we want to go to sleep? Or don't we want to dull our senses with entertainments or drugs or alcohol or food or whatever else? But notice Jesus' counsel to the disciples here. See, he knows what lies ahead for them. He knows the trouble that lies ahead, and he knows how clear it is. So he tells them, watch and pray. And Jesus' advice to them is his advice to all of us who deal with anxiety. Watch and pray. Bring that anxiety to me every day, Jesus is saying. Watch out for your temptations. Watch out for your triggers and ask me how to navigate them. Watch and pray. And look, on the subject of watching and praying, turn to John 14 for a moment with me. In the days leading up to the passage in the garden, Jesus had given them what is known as that upper room discourse, right? The chapters John 14 to John 17. And it's those final words of exhortation to his disciples. And prior to the moment where Jesus is in the garden, he speaks these immortal words in John 14, 1 through 4, where he says, Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Listen to that. Jesus is saying, do not let your heart be troubled. Don't let it. In other words, he's saying, there are some things that you can control when it comes to anxiety. Now, before you start saying to me, Carol, stop. There are things that are entirely out of our control. Absolutely, I agree. 
I know those things that are outside of our control. Remember, I am a fellow sufferer and I know I have had panic attacks that came out of nowhere. I have had panic attacks wake me up out of dead sleep. I was dead sleeping and I woke up with a panic attack if that makes any sense. So I know there are aspects of dealing with anxiety that are completely and utterly out of our control. So when Jesus is saying something like, do not let your heart be troubled, if he's saying don't let it, and it seems to indicate there are aspects of it that are under our control, what part of our anxiety is then under our control? What involves or implicates our actions or our choices or our attitudes? And that's what I'm really closing this podcast with. I'm really closing with the idea that I opened us up with. We can fall into ruts that worsen and deepen our anxiety and give us then an anxious personality type. So those patterns of behavior, those patterns of thinking can then become our overall attitude and outlook on all of life. Our first reaction to every single situation is an anxious reaction because that is the only way we have programmed ourselves to deal with anything. If we have to decide where we are going to have dinner, if we're going out to dinner, we become anxious about it because we have only programmed ourselves to be anxious at all times in every situation. We have not given ourselves or allowed ourselves to develop any form of tools. Despite advice or counseling, despite all of the different methodologies and tools and prayer and worry army, we instead have chosen to repeat fears and worries, habits and things to such a degree that we now have absolutely nothing but the ruts. And I want to say this because I'm speaking to myself. The more I repeat an anxious matter in an anxious way, in anxious company, over and over and over again, the more likely I am to let my heart be troubled and let it be afraid as opposed to not letting it be afraid. But the more I unleash those things to a worry army, to people who are going to point me back to the Lord, to people who are not going to let me wallow in it, to people who are going to remind me what things are true and noble and of good report, then I am exhorted to snap out of it. I am exhorted to be encouraged to point back to the Lord. And this is the hard stuff. What parts of our anxiety must we choose not to do? What are we doing that is harming us? Jesus is telling us when he says, do not let your heart be troubled. He is saying by saying, do not, that there are things that we are allowing ourselves to allow or not allow. He wouldn't give us the choice. He wouldn't say, do not let your heart be troubled if everything was outside of our control. He wouldn't give us a commandment like that if everything was utterly and completely out of our control. The fact is, if it's under our power, think about it, consider it. What is there that was within our control? What can we change? 
I feel like the greatest hope we have, the greatest encouragement I have, that also comes right there in John 14. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. God goes to prepare a place for us. There is a future and a hope for you anxious believers. Jesus said, I am going to heaven. All this bad news of the cross, all of this bad news of my betrayal and my torture and all that's coming. But guess what? I am going to heaven to prepare a place for you. Heaven has a place prepared for you. Even if you struggle with anxiety, hear me, Jesus has made a way for overcoming it here, even here on earth because we have our eyes up towards heaven. There is hope for us still. There's hope still. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Rinse and Repeat, our third installment of our Fear Not series, looking how Jesus faced fears in the garden and how he told us to watch and to pray. And he gave us the hope of heaven, both there in Mark and obviously in John 14. Thank you so much for listening to Rinse and Repeat. Again, I'm Carol Escaros. You can reach me through my website. That's caroliscaros.com. It's C-A-R-O-L-E-S-K-A-R-O-S.com. That's caroliscaros.com. There you can learn more about the podcast. You can read about our reading plans, more about me personally, and you can get in touch. You can write me a note and tell me what you think about the podcast or the reading plans. I would love to hear from you. And I also, if you've missed any portion of Rinse and Repeat, I strongly encourage you to back up and take a listen. You can take a listen from the very, very beginning if you want to. You can hear a little bit about my vision for the podcast, my personal testimony. You can listen to our series on the names of God. We did Women of the Bible Part 1, and now we're here in our Fear Not series. Again, I look forward to us studying further what God's Word has for us, those of us who struggle with anxiety, next time here on Rinse and Repeat.